you're listening to Shade, the podcast where I chat to creatives and activists across disciplines who challenge ideas on race at a time when identity politics is at the forefront of our cultural landscapes. I'm Lou Mensa, writer and photographer, and I've always wondered why people create the work that they do. This week I chat with Kristen Joy Emac, a photographer and public school family liaison living in Massachusetts. Her work focuses on family, the neglected everyday representations of black childhood. As I edited this episode, Kristen heard that she had won the Critical Mass Top 50 Award and Exhibition curated by Elizabeth Avedon. Of her series, Lapalusa, which features her daughter, she says, her childhood unfurls in the tight spaces that the city demands. Because childhood reverie is typically expressed as grounded in nature, sun-kissed, barefooted and blonde, I wondered how her confidence and sense of validation in the world is affected when her narrative goes unseen. As they have matured, they have begun to understand the lives of black girls are not well documented. And one added intention of this series is to bring forward that perspective. We both talked about the spaces in which she's comfortable sharing her work, and as a white mother who features her biracial daughters in her photography, the responses from the audience. I was reminded of a quote from artist Amy Sherald, who, if you remember, was the artist who painted Michelle Obama's portrait a couple of years ago. And she talks quite a bit about the representations of the everyday lives of the black community. And she quotes, I realised I'd never seen black narratives that had frivolity, that weren't heavy and serious, that didn't show us running for our lives, struggling for our lives. And I realised that I didn't want to make work that was necessarily didactic, but instead was just about everyday blackness. I love the way that you capture moments that are so often overlooked, especially in the wider conversations on race in photography. As an audience, um, we're so used to seeing visually dynamic representations of our lives. Um, And it reminded me, when I looked at your work again yesterday, I'd also read a piece in the New York Times of three black female artists and one of them was Amy Sherald who what who is a painter and she painted uh, Michelle Obama's um, portrait a couple of years ago and she said that she realized that she'd never seen uh, black narratives that had frivolity that weren't heavy that weren't serious and I see that in your work as well you you really capture them the everyday moments of childhood the moments of boredom contemplation um, that can easily pass us by and your series Appaloosa is named after your daughter and features portraits of her and your niece and it's a validation of the black girl experience in your family's life and of this work you've said that when they look back they look for everyday representations of themselves and they will find themselves in this work. I 
checked in with her the, the other day, actually, <clears throat> after I came back from a recent opening that I was in, mm-hmm. where I felt a little discouraged by the lack of representation of artists of color or <clears throat> artwork of people of color. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I asked her point blank, how are you, how are you feeling about the work now? How are you feeling about your work being on a gallery wall? <clears throat> where do you feel most comfortable with it? Do you, is there a place where you want this work to be shown um, where that it's not currently being shown? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> her feedback was super thoughtful and um but it surprised me a little bit because the narrative i thought she would say she was pushing against Mm. was not the like it was it was different than that so what it's similar to um it's more connected to how you were talking about um the types of images of black childhood that we see or don't see Mm. so first of all kayla said that she really liked that her story was getting out there she wanted people she's like she, she shared a certain hunger for that that she wanted her story to be out there she felt like it valued her life her choices her decisions her family her background and and the reason that it that it spoke so loudly is because it's just showing those everyday moments the the mm. little small um, intimacies between herself and her sisters and her cousin but the narrative she's pushing against is the narrative of black girls that are showcased as always robust mm. excited colorful those images don't resonate to her to her to her they they don't represent her life I just so I just found that really very thoughtful you are a white mother of a biracial child, as my mother was. If you have the respect, the understanding, the open dialogue and the intimacy between yourself and your child to discuss all of these issues regarding race and with all the race conversations that go on, I I have an issue sometimes where I feel yeah. that Um, It's seen by the black community that white parents of biracial children can't possibly ever understand their child's experience because they move through the world as white people, whereas their children um, don't. Well, I understand that. But what I also think is missing from that conversation is I do think it's about the the relationship you have with your child, the dialogue you have with your child, the connection you have with your child. Because I I I I didn't have those conversations with my mother, and I was just kind of left to it. You know, it was the 1970s; it was a different time. But equally, I had you know black friends who also didn't have conversations with their parents about. Um, supporting them moving through the world as black children right and so I I quite often feel that white parents are dealt a tough hand as though that their opinions and their um, observations about how their children move through the world are quite often dismissed and I 
I find that very sad because I think actually it's about the relationship you have with your child and how you grow and learn together. And it's about respecting your child and being there as a guide and as a support as they're going through life. Um, And I just hear the way that you talk with your child and the conversations you're having and the explorations that you're having together. And I just don't think that anything can be more beautiful or respectful than that but I just wonder as a white mother is it difficult what goes for your mind sometimes when you're showing work of your child recently I've tried to be more transparent about that piece of the experience and I Mm. the only reason I didn't talk about it in the beginning Mm. was because I didn't enter either body of work either the uh, cousin series or the um, Appaloosa series I didn't enter those bodies of work or start them because I wanted to have a conversation about race or mixed mixed identity. The original momentum was love. I have realized that I at, at this point, as as my work is getting more attention, I have to be more open with whatever audiences are engaging with my work about the fact that these children I'm photographing are my family. Yeah. And um, and also I, I kind of innocently had forgotten that some of my other photographs be, um, at other times that I've shown around things that photographs of friends of my daughter's godmother, of my son, mm. um, when I've shown them at um, open studios, mm. I've had experiences where um, I'll give you a, a classic example. I have a photograph of my son directly mm. outside of our old apartment. Mm. Um, in that apartment complex was a secondhand clothing store. Mm. So it had kind of a funky storefront, um, mm. but it's the 4th of July. He and I are, um, so this is like the early nineties. He and I are walking down to go see the fireworks and, um, he notices that there are these, uh, red, white, and blue American flag, um, mm. decorations left out at the secondhand store. And people invited to take them so he's standing in front of the photograph I have of him he's standing in front of a storefront Mm. he's wearing red white and blue um necklaces Mm. (laughs) he's standing directly in front of an American flag every time I have shown that photograph at an open studio I have been asked where was this photograph taken what country is this Mm. and these are questions that are asked by um people who are my neighbors, people who mm-hmm. live in the same little city that I live in. So there's something about the, the, and of course this question has been asked by, uh, uh, you know, white viewers of the work, but mm-hmm. so there's something about this like act of looking at this child of color and mm-hmm. immediately making this assumption that this child is not from here. And the same thing has happened with um, this image I have of my daughter's godmother um, who is sitting with her granddaughter. So my daughter's godmother is an um, immigrant from Jamaica, but mm-hmm. has raised five children here in this city. Mm-hmm. Um, her daughter was born in born here. I mean, sorry, excuse me, her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful image of them sitting in uh, uh, her gardened backyard mm-hmm. in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And that's also an image that I've been asked over and over again. Mm-hmm. Where was this taken? Is this Africa? Is this the Caribbean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's it's just crazy. It's just crazy. It's, you know, it's not asked by visitors. It's asked by people who probably go to the same gym as um, mm. my daughter's godmother, probably go to the same grocery stores and, um, you know, walk by the same, the same, walk down the same city streets. Um, mm. So again, she's 
her image is not seen as belonging here where she's built a life and raised her children. It definitely seems to be directed at women. That's such an interesting perspective. I'm going to think about that a lot more. Yeah, Yeah, let's think about why that is. Because is it because, um, you know, people are attaching their very outdated notions of what mothers should be? So, okay, it's acceptable if we're in the workplace at a desk. Um, It's acceptable if we are hoovering or cooking, you know, um, being in a domestic setting. But what's not acceptable is if we are um, taking ownership um, of our lives and and, um, creatively expressing how we feel about our lives regardless and it's definitely and I think but at the same time it's okay for people to endlessly post um, pictures on social media of their children's moments of every single moment of every day but right, right. Um, as as artists, we are questioned as to whether that's ethical or not. And as female artists, we um, are questioned more than than anybody else. Right. Hey, crazy. I was thinking about um, the messages that our kids get from the outside world about their um, identities and how the absence of of their representations as biracial um, or black children, how it affects them. Um, And we can do so much work with our children to get them to critique what they see, the images that um, they engage with in books and on social media and in advertising. Sometimes the words will not always get through. And I really loved your fairy tale series, which flipped the script of the traditional images that we pick up um, or our children pick up from fairy tale stories. Um, And what you did, you did a series that placed your daughter as the main character. There's just such a deep need to see girls of color as protagonists in our most classic tales. I mean, I, 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 when I've written about this piece, I've said that fairy tales um, have stood up to the test of time. And I, you know, I think the reason for this is because they have these, the far reaching arc of all of the elements of magical realism, you know, themes of sorcery, innocence, vulnerability, revelry, um, mischief, right? And um, they have what it takes to keep engaging audiences. I have always loved fairy tales. I'm just captivated by them. And Um, so I did a lot of reading of fairy tales with my daughter when she was young and, um, eventually she asked the question, Hey, how come all the characters in my fairy tales are white? So my daughter and I just started talking about why that was. And we had to open up conversations about identity. And, um, the reason I'm putting an emphasis on identity is because that's such a complex term. And, um, you know, it's particularly for a mixed race child, You know, when she wakes up in the morning, she wakes up and she is full of a multitude of identities. She is American. She is from the East Coast. She's black. She's mixed. She's biracial. She's a girl of color. She's Haitian, of Haitian descent. She's of Caribbean descent. She's of West African descent. She's also of Scottish, English, Finnish, Swedish, Dutch. You know, she's all of these things when she wakes up in the morning. But when she opens the door and heads off to school, she's not many of those things because the world perceives her as black or mixed or biracial. Having a conversation with a five-year-old about identity and 
um, <laughs> is complicated because it's really hard to it's really hard to get all of that information packed in a way that uh, that uh, is developmentally appropriate for a, a child at that age. Of course. Right. So, um, but at, so at any rate, when we started this project, I think the fun of it and the importance of it for her at that time was that she was getting to be her favorite fairy tale characters Yeah. for, you know, for better or worse. She was ushered her, you know, we ushered her into the role of the protagonist and that in itself, even if she couldn't put it to words at the time is, has to be powerful. Yes. But I think the thing that we both know about photography is that these images, so she's 12 now, and these images are, they still exist. Mm -hmm. They're still here. They're hanging up in my office wall. They're um, in a book that we made together. I've written about them. I've shared them with, um, I work for the uh, city's public school district. Mm -hmm. So I've shared the the book with uh, several second grade classrooms when they're studying, um, when they're studying fairy tales. It's because it's part of the uh, Massachusetts school curriculum. Mm. Um, so I just I would be interested in, in finding out from her, you know, years from now, how it felt to still have these pictures around, and like for her to be the the, the child entering that space, yeah, and for then that to be shared with other children who are then like t- you know drinking that in, and also you know additionally, um, as much as I know and want this work to be important for girls of color, I think it's also equally important for Caucasian girls to see this as well, because mm-hmm. it's it's like the great equalizer, um, mm-hmm. yes. you know, to see to not only because uh, self representation is so important, you know, or seeing mm-hmm. yourself reflected in in a story, especially a classic story like Rapunzel or Little Red Riding Hood. But it also, you know, changes the power dynamic for a Caucasian child to see that they are not, you know, their lookalike in the world is not taking the starring role. I'm going to I'm going to wrap up with this. Um, I really enjoyed our little um, text tennis that we had last week about the art shows that we had both attended mm-hmm. on the same day. Um, I, I had been to Free's art sh- show in London and you had attended um, a show where your work was showing um, and on the same day you had photos of your daughter and niece on display in the exhibition and you said that it was in a in an affluent part of town and you came away questioning the spaces in which you were showing your work and you even were thinking about the possible harm that could be caused by showing in them. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit more about your concerns. That the reason it was particularly shocking to me that night, because right, it certainly wasn't the first time I've walked into a, an opening or a gallery situation where there's really lack of representation by artists of colour or Mm. or where the sub where the subjects in the photographs are people of color mm. but I had been in the, the exact same space at a different opening in the spring of this year mm. and also had a piece in that um well actually um uh won a um a second best in show um award at that um at that particular opening in the spring so it was in the same gallery space beautiful gallery space the the juror um for that show was uh is steve Locke, mm. um a man of color um an activist mm. 
And I think the reason I, I actually entered that show, so I think it, I have to take one step, take even one step uh, backward, is that the reason I entered that show is because I knew that the piece I was entering, I felt like uh, a juror of color would be able to enter the image yes. in a different way. So mm. the image that was that won the prize is one called Braids. Mm. And it's an image of my daughter and um, her two cousins. They had all just had their hair braided by my sister-in-law. Mm. And um, they're just, it's uh, taken from the back and their heads are leaning on each other and in a, in a, in a way that like, you know, there's intimacy of familial bonds mm. is apparent in the image. Um, but I also knew that if, you know, if somebody of color looks at this, they're going to know, they're going to be able to look at the hair and they're going to be able to say like, oh, they just got their hair done because, mm. you know, it's fresh and um, it's, you, you can, you know, it's just, it's, it, they're, the, the braids are neat. They'd be mm. able to like understand a little bit of the background of that, in, of that um, image, you know, mm. wonder about it in a different way. Whereas mm. another person, Caucasian person might still value the image and still see the beauty in it or enjoy the composition. They just might not be able to like, you know, fully comprehend what the day might've been like for those girls before the image was taken. So at any rate, I, you know, I entered the uh, competition. It it was awarded um, a prize. The opening was um, amazing. But part of what made it amazing was that there was so many artists of color and there was, um, and it was, it wasn't just photography. It was, there was sculpture and painting and yeah, the whole energy, it was just the, the vibe was very different mm-hmm. because it was so diverse. And, you know, I step back and wonder was, did other artists have the same feeling I did? Like, oh, I'm going to enter this mm-hmm. because if there's jurors of color, then they're going to, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, enter my work in a different way, or they'll yeah. take my work more seriously. Mm. Um, or, you know, is that what happened? I, I don't know. And, is, and, and then this, this contrasted um, experience I had this month, was it that there were no artists of color who entered the show or it was a mm. shocking experience to walk into the same space. Mm. And I only saw one person of color, the entire opening. Mm. And, it was disheartening. And, and one thing that came from it was, uh, I was full of questions when I came home, Mm. you know, is, is an exhibition space that does not have a diverse audience. Is this where the work belongs? Mm. And, and that's what prompted me to ask my niece about how she was feeling about Mm -hmm. the work being shown. You know, did she also think that that was where it belonged is, you know, who, who is the audience who goes there? And, I just I have a lot of respect for galleries and art associations who are reaching out to jurors of color to to diversify the not just our work but like to diversify the points of entry. There's so many issues that go alongside that, so we have a long way a long way to go. And we see I remember talking to Aaron about um, yeah. you know the high the trend at the moment. The trend, yeah. The trend. I, I just love the fact that you are sharing the work of your intimate spaces and that um, I think the work, what your daughter said about her experience of being in the images is is really beautiful. And I really um, wanted to thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about my work and to talk about uh, just my thoughts and feelings about being part of a mixed race family. And also I <laughs> wanted to say, I'm glad you brought up cold because <laughs> I feel like my voice, my laryngitis is still there a little bit, and I feel like I either sound like Lauren Bacall or Lauren Hill today. But 